When will God weed them out? From the sermon series, The End Times, spoken by Pastor Sunita Pantan. Good morning, Metro. Good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. It's good to be with you. It is a beautiful day, as I said to the first service. It is a beautiful day to talk about the end of the world. Amen? (laughs) All right. If you would, bow your heads in prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon your children today. God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. God, we thank you that you don't leave us out in the cold without instruction and without insight into what you're doing in the world. And so God, I have prayed and prepared as best I know how, but you must preach this word. Lord, I have studied your word, but I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit. And God, I have written words on paper, but you, would you write them on our hearts that as we look at the world around us, we would be confident in you, O oh God. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, amen, amen. Now be honest, how many of you looked around at what was going on in the world last year and earlier this year and thought, is this the end of the world? Raise your hand. (laughs) If you're at home, feel free to type it in the chat. Last year, earlier this year, it was a little crazy, I know. I know a couple of times I wondered, Jesus, are you on your way? We are in the midst of a global pandemic. Violence continues to rage in the Middle East and around the world. There are earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes. This past summer, there were even swarms of cicadas that descended upon D.C. There are nations existing in a constant state of famine. And, and even here in the United States, there are food deserts and people who go hungry every single day. And we're in the richest country, one of the richest countries in the world. There is civil unrest, whether it's the protest after the killing of, of black and brown men and women, or there's the, the storming of the U.S. Capitol because of claims of election stealing. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like we're in the twilight zone. Or... Jesus is coming back. (laughs) And one of the questions I was asked so much last year is, Pastor, do you think the world is coming to an end? Do you think Jesus is coming? And, And they asked me, you know, as if I would know, is Christ on his way? But people weren't just asking me, people were asking Google. They were going online and they were going to YouTube and TikTok and listening to what people had to say. They went down that deep, dark place on the internet where conspiracy theories abound. People started calculating time and trying to put pieces together. And I often wonder, did any of these people ever consider asking God? Did they ever read the scriptures? As we go deeper into the question of the end of the age in the coming weeks, we'll see that Jesus says we won't know the day nor the hour. So if you're following somebody online who's trying to calculate when Jesus will come back, stop because they don't know. 
What we do know and what we'll see over the next few weeks is that Jesus provides us with some insights into the end times in an effort to prepare us for his glorious return. So if you have your Bibles, or if you're here in the sanctuary, you can see above us, Matthew 24. We're looking at Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. And it reads as follows. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. If you have a Bible, if you're looking on the app, highlight that verse, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is the fifth and final discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. The discourses are the sayings and teachings of Jesus organized around a particular theme or um, in his ministry. And we've been studying this all year. Remember, we began with the Sermon on the Mount, where we focused on discipleship. Then it was Commission Impossible, focused on the commissioning of the disciples. Next, we went to the moral of the story, which are Jesus's parables. Next was upside down, focusing on relationships and how Jesus sees our relationships probably a little bit differently than we do. And finally, we are looking now at the end times. Jesus is teaching on the future. In this final discourse about the future, Jesus teaches us that he will return but the time is unknown. This final discourse takes place between Jesus and the disciples. He's responding to his rejection by the Jewish leadership. He had been teaching in the temple and they continue to reject him. They are even trying now plotting to kill him. And in the midst of this, if you go back to 23, uh, chapter 23, you'll see that Jesus is grieving over Jerusalem the city of Jewish worship, and he's grieving over the leadership and the disciples marvel. They look at the temple, at its beauty and its majesty and its pageantry. And Jesus remarks that one day, all of it will be gone. All that they ever knew, all that they ever thought was important, one day it will all be gone. And in response, the disciples ask two questions. When? When will the temple be destroyed? 
And when are you coming back? And when is the end of the age? They're thinking about their Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel and Daniel, and they think, um, and, and, and underneath these questions are this assumption that once the temple is destroyed, Jesus will come back right away, and then the end of the age will come, that it'll happen in rapid succession. And Jesus, he never confirms that. But Jesus does answer the disciples' questions, and it's out of his deep love and concern for them and for us. He answers their first question by predicting what seems to be inconceivable at the time, the destruction of the temple. Now, the temple was the greatest architectural wonder of the time. Do we have a picture of the temple? This huge temple. And Jesus is correct because in 70 AD, under Rome, under Titus, the Romans completely destroyed this temple and all of Jerusalem. Next, Jesus begins to tackle then the second question, what will be the sign of his return and the end of the age? And we'll actually be studying his response to this for the next few weeks. You might find that these verses are confusing, and they can be very confusing, because sometimes Jesus is talking about the immediate future, and sometimes he's talking about something that happens much later in the ultimate future. But either way, he's preparing us. He's telling us this because he wants to prepare us. So what are the signs of his return and the end of the age? In this passage today, he tells us that this is just the beginning of the end. He says there'll be false messiahs, and there'll be human and natural disasters. There'll be persecution of Christians and apostasy, which means the denial or the turning away of the faithful. There'll be false prophets an increase in evil, and eventually the spread of the gospel among all the nations. Well, if you're like me, you might read those verses and think a lot of that seems to be happening today. Is this the beginning of the end? Perhaps it is. But the power for us doesn't come in just knowing when the end will come. The power comes in knowing how we should respond. What posture should we take? The day and the time is not as important as how we ought to respond. And this is where Jesus focuses. He tells his disciples, the end has not come, not yet, but be prepared. Keep the right posture. Jesus is providing them and us with insight and warnings so that we won't become discouraged or led astray. He says this is the condition of the world. He wants us to know how to live in light of this reality, that he is coming back one day, and that the world, as we know it, will end. So what do we do? What do we do with all this knowledge? What do we do when we see wars and we hear rumors of wars? when there are false messiahs who make their claims, and then there are earthquakes and famines and, and pandemics, and Christians are turning away from their faith. What do we do when we are uncertain and we're scared? What do we do with our questions? We want to know what's going to happen and when because we want to brace ourselves for it. Because the truth is that if we are not grounded in Christ, the thought that the world could end is scary. The thought of pain or hardship, the thought of destruction, wars, violence, and death, our fears, our uncertainties, what we're seeing all around us. So how do we as Christians live in light of the end of the world? 
Number one, what's the first thing we do in light of the end of the world? First, we get to know Jesus. We get to know Jesus. Look at verses 4, 5, and 11. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. And then verse 11, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Jesus warns us not to be deceived by those claiming to be the Messiah. A false Messiah is anyone who wants to take Jesus' place. These people will deceive you and lead you astray. And in order to not be deceived, however, you must know the true Messiah. You've got to be able to distinguish the real from the fake. It's like with purses and watches, and artwork. There's a whole industry designed to make you believe that you can buy, you know, a Louis Vuitton purse, or a Cartier watch, or an original Rembrandt from, for 70% off retail, or that it's even available for you to purchase. And, and, and there's no judgment here, but there are some people who work really hard to find really good knockoffs so they can make you believe that they've paid money for the real thing, right? But only those who have studied the original can tell the real versus the fake. To the untrained eye, we may not be able to tell the difference, but to the art dealer or the jeweler or the designer, they know the difference. And the only way we will ever be able to tell the difference between a false Messiah and the real Messiah is if we know Jesus. If we've become so intimately involved in a relationship with him that we can distinguish his voice from that of others, that we can discern his ways, that we can track his movement, that we can recognize his face. Since the time of Jesus, there have been so many people who've claimed to be the Messiah. And each time people have fallen prey to them. There were people back in 1772, and I was so amazed when I found this out because it was a woman. Her name was Anne Lee, and she was a part of, she was a leader in the United Society of Believers in Christ's Second Appearing. They were also known as the Shakers. And back in 1772, she said that she embodied all the perfections of God in female form. She considered herself to be Christ's female counterpart. There was Father Divine, an African-American man in the, in the early 1900s who claimed to be God. There's Sun Myung Moon, the founder and leader of the Unification Church, the Moonies um, established in Seoul, Korea, who considers himself to be the second coming of Christ. And those of us who are old enough, we remember David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. And you know what? We can cringe. We can shake our heads when we hear these names. But the truth of the matter is some people followed them, even to death. Deceit is a real thing. There will also be people who are false prophets and claim to speak for Jesus. They claim to have insight beyond what you can understand or comprehend or beyond what you are able to understand or comprehend. And when times are uncertain and when people are scared and things are happening that people can't explain, that is the opportune time, that is fertile ground for a false prophet to step in. They prey on vulnerable Christians. They prey on weaknesses and fears and anxieties and even sometimes on hopes. And they will lead people astray. 
They will claim to have answers like the false prophets in the Old Testament. They'll claim that there's peace when there is no peace. They will see that people are looking for answers, that people have itching ears and they want to hear something particular, and they will say those things. They will claim to have answers to your questions. Jesus is telling us to watch out for those people. Be on alert for them. But we can only combat their lies, and we can only know if they're telling us lies if we know the truth. Especially in this age with the internet and all you need is a phone, people can post whatever they want to post on on the internet. Conspiracy theories, false truths, fake news, whatever you want to call it, it is in our midst. But there is such a thing as absolute truth. There is such a thing as objective truth. And it's not my truth and it's not your truth. It is the truth and it is God's truth. Amen? And if you want to know what God has to say, or if you want to know that even someone standing before you like me is actually preaching the word of God correctly, you've got to know Jesus for yourself. You've got to come to know God as revealed in Jesus Christ through his word. The Bible is the word of God. It is truth. Everything in it is for our teaching, for our reproof, for our, rec- for our correction, for our training in righteousness. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In it are the words of life. And Jesus is the living word. Satan is not going to try and lead you astray with these blatantly obvious lies. No, he's more subtle than that. He will thread the line because even if we don't know the word, he does. Remember in the Bible where Jesus, excuse me, where Satan tries to tempt Jesus? The devil quoted scripture. But because Jesus knew the word of God and God's heart and God's character, he was able to discern God's will. And the same is true for us. We won't be deceived by false messiahs or false prophets if we know the true Messiah, if we know Jesus. And we get to know Jesus by reading his word, by studying it, by meditating it on it, by, by learning, by coming and sitting under teaching. And by the way, I don't mind. I encourage you to read along with me when I'm preaching and when anybody else is preaching so that you can check what we say. You've got to know God for yourself. We get to know God, when we listen for him, when we pray, not just that we keep talking, but that we stop long enough to hear the voice of God. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And the only way we will know his voice is if we stop long enough to listen. Get to know Jesus. Second, We take comfort in knowing there's a plan. When things are looking crazy, first, we got to get to know Jesus. And two, we take comfort in knowing that there's a plan. Look at verses six through eight. 
You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you were not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus tells the disciples and us what we can expect. Wars, rumors of wars, nations rising up against nations, famines and earthquakes. Jesus is telling us what to expect and he tells us not to be alarmed because these things must happen. Don't be afraid. These things must happen. They must take place. But he says that even though these things are inevitable, they are not the end. It's actually just the beginning. We still don't know exactly when, how long it will last, or how bad it will be. But we do know that Jesus will return. When my cousin was pregnant with her son, she told the family very early on in her pregnancy, somewhere around like six or seven weeks. And, you know, I'm glad she told us. And she told us the estimated delivery date. But I have to tell you, that was the longest eight months of my life. We were waiting for this baby. And then in true form, as soon as she began having contractions, she sent out a text. Guess what? That was the longest 10 hours of our lives waiting for baby Jackson to come. We were waiting for this baby. And of course, that baby did not come on his delivery date. My cousin is a doctor. She's around doctors all day long. With all of her knowledge, with all of those doctors' knowledge, with women having given birth for millennia, we still cannot accurately predict when a baby will be born. That baby comes when that baby is ready, right? All we can do is watch for the signs, the viability of the baby over time, the frequency, the duration, and the intensity of contractions. Those contractions are evidence that baby is on the way, that it will happen, whether it takes three hours or three days like it did for one of my friends. It will happen. The baby will come. Well, Jesus is telling us that the signs that we see are like contractions. We know that Jesus will return. But when it will happen, we don't know. We see the signs and we have to pay attention and always be ready. He will come. We just have to be ready. Now, I know looking around at the world, I'm sure we've all probably thought, Jesus must be coming back soon because I see wars. I see earthquakes, right? Some of you may have been praying for Jesus to return. I know I was. I know I have been. So there is so much violence and hatred. There's wars and conflicts and, and threats of wars, and not just in the physical, you know, tangible world, but electronically there are invasions and takeovers, but they never quite get to student loans. Did y'all notice that? <laughs> that is just an aside. Throwing that out of the atmosphere. But, but there is this growing polarization between good and evil, right? And humanity has gone mad. 
And not just humanity, but even creation is struggling. There are earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes. These things are normal, but the frequency signals that even creation is in chaos. But Jesus says, despite these disasters and difficulties, Christians must not be alarmed. It's normal for you to be a little apprehensive. But if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you might want to ask yourself, if we, we're entering into this subject of the end times for the next few weeks, if this makes you uneasy, if you are afraid of the conversation, you might want to ask why. Why does it elicit so much fear in you? Why are you so afraid of Christ returning? Like Pastor Peter preached last week, do you really believe in your heart that you've been forgiven? Do you really believe in your heart that you're saved and that you will be with Christ one day? Do you really believe in the awesome power of God's amazing grace? Do you really believe that God will take care of you? Do you really believe that nothing can separate you from his love? Now, you might also be scared because you're living in sin. My former pastor's wife used to say that she would never visit New Orleans. She just thought that New Orleans was like the most sin-filled city ever, right? And she said she never wanted to visit New Orleans because she didn't want Jesus to come back and find her there. <laughs> this is a little crazy, right? Now, some of us, don't want Christ to come back right now because we don't want him to find us where we are living in sin. So we need to ask ourselves, what are we afraid of? Are, are we afraid because we haven't quite captured and, and believed in our hearts all of God's promises? Or are we afraid because we're not quite living the life that we're supposed to be living as a Christian? Do some of that hard work. If you need to speak to one of us pastors, please do so. Pray about your fears. But even though it's uncomfortable, one of the reasons that we're doing this series is so you will know what Jesus has to say so that you can be prepared and live without fear. Jesus tells us, do not be alarmed. We don't actually have to be afraid because we know what's going to happen. What will happen is no surprise to Jesus, and he doesn't want it to be a surprise to us either. God is sovereign and omniscient, which means that he is overall and he is all-knowing. Nothing surprises him. COVID surprised us. Didn't surprise God. He did not cause it, but he knew that it was going to happen. And even as we're wrestling with, with when things will happen and how it will happen, God already knows the answer. He is still in control. So even if we are in the midst of the end times, we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. Earthquakes and famines will come. It's inevitable. Wars and uprisings will happen. It's inevitable. And these things are signals of the beginning of the end. There will be more and it will be greater and it will be okay. Why? Because God has, lot, has not lost control of the universe. The world has not gone out of his hands. Remember that song you may have learned when you were little? He's got the whole world in his hands. 
It is still true. He's got the whole world in his hands now and forever. So Jesus is telling us, do not be afraid. We can take comfort in knowing that this is all a part of God's plan for his return. God has revealed this truth to you. So remain calm, even if the world is out of control. You remain calm because God is still in control. We should actually be the calmest people on earth because we have the peace of Christ. It's a peace that comes from knowing that we can rest safely and securely in his hands. We are secure in Christ no matter what happens. If we live, we live with Christ. And if we die, we die with Christ. God is still working in the midst of it all. And if you read the book and get to the end, you know that God wins. Amen? In the midst of it all, we can take comfort in knowing that God has a plan. So what do we do in light of Christ's return and the end of the age and these signs that we can't seem to make sense of? First, we get to know Christ. Second, we take comfort in knowing that it's all a part of God's plan. And finally, we endure until the end. We endure until the end. Look at verses 9 through 14. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness and love of most, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved." And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus tells us that Christians will be persecuted and put to death because of their faith in Christ. This will cause some people to turn away out of fear or disillusionment. Christians will betray one another and begin to hate each other. Christians will be deceived. Evil will be so rampant that many people will no longer love their neighbor as God commands. But, he says, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is God's call to us for endurance. But the truth is that some will not endure. When persecution comes, some will abandon their faith to save themselves. The persecution will be so intense that it threatens the faith of many, even within the Christian community. Some will even betray other Christians. Some will succumb to false teaching, which will destroy their faith. Instead of being on fire for Christ, some will cool off and become useless to the kingdom. Disciples will betray fellow disciples and turn away from the community of faith. And the love that should be the distinguishing characteristic of the, the Christian church will turn to hatred. Jesus is telling us what to expect so we can be prepared. We don't want to be one of the ones who turns away, do we? Of course not. We want to remain faithful to Jesus even to the end, just as he did for us. We must endure because we want to be like our Savior who endured the pain for us. 
There's an urgency to Christ's message. It's a message to, to be faithful and to prioritize God and to endure until the end. Now that we know what will happen, it should make us want to be more faithful. It should make us want to live completely and fully for Christ now and every day. Because we don't know when it will come, let's live as if he's coming in this very moment. And if we practice faithfully living each day, we will build up the endurance for when he does return. To endure in the face of persecution means to bear whatever comes at you when you make a confession of Christ. In the Bible, it meant death for people like Peter and Stephen and Paul. It meant exile for John. And although we don't necessarily live with that kind of persecution in this country, there are some things in our lives that we need to practice with. Sometimes you have to, not, not even sometimes, you all the time, right? Sometimes it comes up where you know that someone is going to, to, uh, to ridicule you because of your faith. Will you be ready to stand up as a true Christian? Sometimes your Christian beliefs will be in, in conflict with your parents, with your spouse, with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, with your boss. Can you stand up and be a Christian then? Because if we can practice being a Christian and taking these little persecutions as they come to us, we will be strong enough to endure the real persecution when it comes. Even though we don't face it here, our brothers and sisters around the world can teach us about persecution. According to the world's watch list, every day worldwide, 13 Christians are killed because of their faith. 12 are unjustly imprisoned or arrested. 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Now these might sound like small numbers, but let me give you some context. According to this same list, 309 million Christians live under persecution around the world. There's a map. Do we have it? See this? Everybody in the red. Those are countries where people are living. 309 of our brothers and sisters are living under persecution because they are strong enough to declare their belief and hope in Jesus Christ. This is one in six believers in Africa, two out of five in Asia. The top 10 countries where Christians face the most persecution, the top of the list is North Korea. Then there's Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, and India. And even though it ranks number nine overall, Nigeria ranks number one in the number of Christians killed because of their faith. Persecution is taking place all around the world, even though we may not feel it or, or feel the full weight of it. But praise God for our brothers and sisters who can teach us what it means to endure for the sake of Christ. They are living examples for us. And Jesus calls each one of us to endure in our own ways. He calls us to stand firm until the end, because if we do, we will be saved. James chapter 1 verse 12 says it this way. It said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trials, because having stood the test, 
that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Those who remain faithful and endure have the promise of eternal security with Christ. We know that if we live with Christ, we will also reign with him. We will be with him forever. Don't you want to see Jesus one day? Don't you want to see Jesus one day? I know I do. Jesus is calling us to faithfulness for as long as it takes. The endurance might be until Christ comes or it could be until our own individual death. But can we endure through the hard times? Can we endure through the wars and the earthquakes and the famines and the pandemics and the persecutions and the enticement? Can we endure through those things that happen in our own lives, the illnesses and the betrayals? Can we remain faithful? Jesus is calling us to faithfulness for as long as it takes. And here's the beautiful thing. We are not alone. The Bible says that some people will fall away, and I pray they don't, but we know that they will. But we're actually not alone. God will leave a remnant. There will be other Christians enduring with you. I want you to look around at the people in this room. Look around at them. And I want you to tell your neighbor, I will endure with you. Tell them, I will endure with you. You will not be alone. Jesus tells us that the gospel will be preached throughout the entire world. The Great Commission will be fulfilled. New people will continue to come into the faith. And people like us, people who have committed to endure, we will share the gospel message throughout the world. Christ is telling us that when we see persecution or hardship or violence or people turning away from the faith or or natural disasters or pandemics or whatever comes our way, Jesus says, don't run away from it. Don't get afraid. Don't cower away from it. The response is to spread the gospel. The response is to share Christ's message to the end of the earth until the end of the earth. We are to tell the world that Christ wants to know them. Excuse me, that, that Christ wants to be known by them. We are to tell the world that Christ has a plan no matter what it looks like. And we are to tell them that he wants us to endure with him because in the end, we get to be with him forever. Christ has a message of love that overcomes all that we're seeing in this world. And the work for us as Christians is to share that message with the world. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, as we look at all that is going on in our world, it can be scary sometimes. We don't know if it's the end of the world. We don't know when you're coming back. But praise God, you have not left us in the dark. God, we thank you that you have left us your word. You've left us your word that gives us instruction. 
You've left us your word that teaches us to get to know you now so that we will be able to discern your voice from that of, of, of fake people, of false prophets and false messiahs. That you've given us your word to remind us that everything that we see happening is a part of your plan, God. The world is not in chaos. You are still in control. And God, you have given us your word to remind us, God, to endure to the end. God, we thank you that we don't do it alone. We thank you that we operate under the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord God, that we can endure with our brothers and sisters alongside us. So for those who are scared, God, would you comfort their hearts? It is through your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. My brothers and sisters, as you know that the sermon doesn't stop when we say amen, we'd like to take you through some next steps. If you have the communication card on your app, or maybe you have it online, we ask that you would go to it at this time. I want to take you through some next steps. You check them off if it applies to you. Number one, I say yes to God's loving invitation to be in relationship with me. It can be scary when you see all these things happening in the world and you don't know what's going on and you feel like you don't belong and you don't know who you belong to. Jesus is telling you you belong to him. Jesus is telling you that he loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, I invite you to check that box off. You don't have to know anything. We will journey with you. We will pray with you. We will teach you. If you check off that box, one of our pastors will get back to you. Number two, I will download the YouVersion Bible app and begin a plan. The only way that we will be able to tell Jesus' voice from that of another is if we know the word of God. And I know some of you struggle to read the Bible. There's a Bible app, YouVersion, that has amazing plans. Anything that you want to, uh, to read about. And it's all in the Word. It's all about the Word. So check that off if you want to do that. If you need some recommendations, let me know. Number three, I will pray for my Christian brothers and sisters being persecuted around the world because they are followers of Christ. 309 million of our brothers and sisters are being persecuted every single day. We have the privilege of living in the United States where that's not an issue, but it also means we have a responsibility to pray for our brothers and sisters. Amen? So check that off. Number four, I will sign up to join or lead a small group. Small group um, openings are still open until tomorrow, so please sign up for that. I will, and then five and six, I will volunteer for the Fall Fun Fest or I will volunteer for the Open Store. We're doing it simultaneously open store with all the, um, the clothing and winter items for people as they prepare for the winter. And at the same time, parents can bring their kids and we can have, they can go to the trunk or treat. We're doing it with the city of Inglewood. It is going to be big. And this is our opportunity to be the church. Amen. So come to worship that morning, right? And then we head over to McKay Park and bring the church into the community. Amen. Amen.